It's been over a year now since In The Key of Q launched. In our archive, you can find over 50 interviews of queer musicians from around the world and hear their music from rap Unaware of my proclivities to self-sabotage to country to kiss me soul and rock. These episodes are available on the main feed. You can access them via the website at inthekeyofq.com or wherever you normally listen to podcasts. Music is is healing for queer people because we find codes and the messages that are hidden throughout the songs, the Easter eggs, if you will. And we hear ourselves in them. We see that caught in other people's eyes. Hello, this is Dan Hall. I love popular music and have spent most of my life translating heteronormative content into my gay experience. But I think it's time I stopped translating. And so in this podcast, I'm speaking with musicians from around the world who mirror and inspire my queer journey. Welcome to In the Key of Q. This week, I am delighted to welcome from Sydney, Australia, the most fantastic Brendan McLean. Hello, gorgeous. Hello, my lovely. (laughs) Yeah, I look myself in the eye and wonder when I call my mother, my father and a friend. Have you got it all together? Since it felt right, it felt right. We want hugs, not drugs. Or both, if it's available, I'll take two and you under the table. Let's both get drunk and forget the rest. Yeah. I grew up in a deeply Christian suburb um, called the Sutherland Shire, affectionately known as the Shire. Um, also, the place uh, of uh, the race riots. We had race riots on the beach. Um, between white folk and um, the mostly Lebanese community, totally um, inflamed by a radio presenter called Alan Jones, who built up a, a campaign that people should take back Cronulla Beach on behalf of God's people, as he put it. And that's where I grew up. So it was rough. It was really rough. There wasn't many days I didn't come home from school in tears um, or a ripped shirt or, you know, rocks thrown at me. or It was all of that. We're all dreamers, be it my mum's sort of wicker tendencies or my sister's love of the earth and agricultural science that she does. But the suburb just beat, beat us all down feels so similar to every story. I feel so useless saying it. I don't think it is useless saying it. I think the fact that Mm. it's being said and being said out loud is hugely validating. suppose it does that to you. That's what it tries to tell you, right? But through dancing, I was able to see a glimpse of hope and glimpses of friendship, teachers that helped you know, that gave you that wink of like, you'll be okay. We'll make sure if you need to come in here at lunch, come in here at lunch. And you know, your gal pals that you can start whispering that maybe you like kneel across the quadrangle in the shorts. That started happening. And when you have your first partners in suburbs like that, in the Bible belts of wherever you are, it's 
scary. You know, it's not just other students. It can be their parents. You know, we had bricks thrown through the window and a very Christian family up the road found out I was seeing their son, liberal, you know, right, conservative voting parents, quick to kick their son out of the house, things like that. It all led led me to a musical in high school. And I'm going to say it, but it's not good when I say it. We did The Wiz with an all-white cast. Oh, boy. And finally, the combination of dance and acting and singing was there. And I felt like I'd transcended. Like I found, I'd found the biggest version of myself I could be, the brightest, shiniest version of me. And yeah, that's how I see both sides of my music. The music that I use to protect myself alone with the piano. You know, there's always somebody with me if I'm making music by myself. It's, it feels like there's someone in the room with me. So that's one side of the coin, this, this making music to, to build myself up, to teach myself who I am, to say things I feel uncomfortable saying. And then this other side where I, I felt so strong and powerful to imbue these, these big melodies, these big vocals that I didn't know how to write yet. You know, that's what musicals did. Now, I hate musicals. <laughs> I never want to be in a musical. I don't know why I don't like them so much, but I just, in all my years, I have not committed to one. I could not do one. Five, six, seven, eight. Oh, I can't remember that many numbers. But yeah, that sort of led me to this cabaret world where I could be original and a bit theatrical. And I finally made it out of there and it was better than working at a theme park. I took refuge in listening to music. Mm. It's rather beautifully, it sounds like you took refuge in creating it. Absolutely. That's absolutely what I do. And I still do, you know. If I'm at a piano with an empty room, I'm in a good place. Because you can just let those chords ring out and it's the best thing you can do as a creative. Don't have an end point, just keep going. I absolutely adore consuming music, but I don't really know how to how to make it. And so I find music creators fascinating because you literally have to pluck something from nowhere, something that doesn't exist. It's not like you're looking at a landscape and going, I'm going to recreate that as an oil painting, or you look at a, a model and go, I'm going to photograph that. You have nothing. I think when you start writing music, I think this is why... A lot of us write really great songs early on and spend too long trying to recapture that moment because it's, it's the purest form, that, that, 
that time when when music makers are just letting whatever happen happen and you learn that it's just about turning up you just got to turn up and make sounds and things start guiding you it might just be the way that your first instrument sounds to you that's that's how you unpack your first song so i was on a piano so i hit that button in the middle and it was a a g and so i mm, sung a g and that inferred a, the chord of g which i learned that the melody was inside that and you know had some terrible poetry that i stopped reading out loud but then you sing it and the words come to life and you can't help but sing to this g melody which is connected to a d chord and drives you there and drives the melody there and as you start pulling together and understanding a balance of trusting your gut and then following the instruments or the vibe the song appears before you and you either grab it or you miss it <laughs> and it, it scoots away somewhere else, never to be found again as you scream oh wait why did i make a cup of coffee before writing that down I have two very completely different albums that I wanted to make, you know, Fun Bang One and then The Boyfriends, which is very dark and written for me and written inwardly. And it's, it, it works better live or on vinyl. And then Fun Bang One, which is outwardly written, kind of more like the sweater that anyone can put on. There are multiple ways to put it out. I find both of them really fascinating. One sells better than the other. And that's cool. Um, I was just lucky I wrote one first <laughs> and not the other way around. But music is, is healing for queer people because we find codes and the messages that are hidden throughout the songs, the Easter eggs, if you will. And we hear ourselves in them we see that caught in other people's eyes. I think there's nothing someone can give you that is more valuable than their time. And mm. in order to make, I think, I think to make an audience, to make an audience feel that they have made a worthwhile journey and a worthwhile ticket purchase is yes. being delivered authenticity. Yeah. Yes. And that's what I try and do in any show. It can be difficult to do that and transfer that through through different ways of performing songs. I write all kinds of pop songs, though. I play on piano. I play with backing tracks. I have my ukulele. Sometimes I have dances. Sometimes I don't. But no matter what I'm doing, I've got to have that moment with the audience where they know nobody's ever felt that before. That moment with the audience where they go, I've seen Brendan. I have seen the inner workings of his mind and heart, and I'll never see that again in anybody else. And that's, that's my job. That's, that's what I turn up and do. And it is wonderful for an audience when that happens. I remember seeing Hazel O'Connor performing at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern a few years ago, and she performed the whole of the Breaking Glass album, but oh. the only accompaniment was an incredibly sexy harpist. <sighs> 
Mm. And you kind of come to it thinking, oh, what's happening? And then suddenly, a moment, right? You're in it. I did it at the last show I did. I walked out. I only had one song left to do. And I just said, do you want a single or do you want a moment? <laughs> you know, just threw it out there. And of course, moment. People want a moment and just stopped and felt the room and, you know, it was a little bit electric, but not too much that I couldn't, I, I knew I could pull them right in. And that's when we've all succeeded in music. That's what the communion is. You know, because when a church is singing together, that's, it's, it's not four different parts singing against each other. It's rousing until we all feel like this one being doing the same thing. So when you finally get to that point where you get to sort of ease up a little bit and take the hands off and you realize, oh, wow, look, mom, no hands. It's beautiful. And there is no difference between me and the audience. We're all there. Even if I am singing and they're silent, suddenly the room is all of us. Yeah, that's why I do it. I um, supported John Grant in Sydney. And he was such a kick up the bum for me, like just to stay inspired and just, uh, I decided after watching John Grant that I'm just gonna be sexy forever. You know, because John is just so sexy on stage. It's amazing. God, he knows how to write a lyric. He's a hero of mine for sure. I, yeah, I discovered John Grant through the film Weekend because ah, they yes. used a couple of his songs in there. And, um, and then I saw him at the Brixton, perform with the Brixton Academy. Mm. And it was one of the first concerts I'd been to where I deliberately lost the people I'd gone with because I just wanted to sit wow. down somewhere yeah. quiet and didn't really want to share it. And lose yourself. Yeah. Yeah. See, because, again, you weren't alone. You were with music. I know it sounds corny, but it's real. <laughs> a coked up hypo, sucked in lipo, on a one slip typo, a dog walk yo yo, a shoestring makeup, and a street side baker. I'm gonna kick that fake but I wanna meet your maker. I'd rather be one of you. I'd rather be Hey, this is John from the Song Surfing Podcast. Song Surfing is a playlist of independent music pulled from the far reaches of the internet. I've been searching for music on Bandcamp, SoundCloud, Spotify, Slaps, Audius, Instagram, and a few others. And in each episode of Song Surfing, I present some excellent tunes by a diverse group of interesting independent artists. 
So if you like to discover new artists and explore some music from around the world, then come song surfing with me. Song surfing is available on all podcast apps as well as Spotify and Amazon. I kept songwriting in studios after Fun Bang One with other people. And I started writing in quick four hour sessions in studios with people I didn't know over and over and over again to no avail. Nothing would ever get released, you know. I remember I needed a, a break and I was in London. And I read about this little bookstore in a sex store. And I just started smoking weed, which was a really good time. (laughs) And it's great that I held off smoking weed for so long. Kudos to me. Um, And I found this gay semiotics book while I was really stoned. And I just was hit with the muse like I'd never been hit before in my life. It grabbed me by the spine and said, you'll have made something about this in the next two weeks. No walls, no barriers, we talk without a word. Your eyes with no concern, your heart forever turned. And I was so shocked, but followed through, and that became House of Air. You know, when, you, when I made this pop record, immediately feeling like the walls were closing in because there was a right way to perform and a right way to sing and a right way to promote and a right way to make your merch and to respond in interviews. And so we created the most queer, joyful unashamed music video I think that's ever existed. (laughs) And it was a response to respectability politics. You know, it was a full response to respectability politics. And so that was a complete distraction from writing music again for another year, this sort of whirlwind, a lot of attention, a lot of praise, which put the sword of Damocles over my head because then I didn't want to follow it up. For those who haven't seen the music video, could you describe it? Very explicit, um, not safe for work, Uh, filmed in Camden. We flew in porn stars from Berlin. I get pooped on in it. Um, and we go through the gay semiotics, the, the band, the hanky code, basically. And, um, and there's so, not just that, there's a little bit of a little dribble of cum as well, isn't there? There's a little bit of cum. It's everything else that was put in him during the day. Um, you know, it all came out in the end. So we made that lots of attention. Although just Which jumping in there, it isn't just explicit. It's incredibly deshaming. Yes. It's well, it a, was joy. It, yeah, it's a it's a 
I just implore our audience, we'll obviously put a link to it in the show notes, but to not feel, to not approach it thinking, oh, this is great, this is shocking and exciting. It, I loved it because I'm all about de-shaming. I, I have no time for shame. But it, it, it also made me realize I have other jobs in my life. It's not just making bops. I wanted to be a part of the queer conversation and, and leave a mark on the world. But it also really spooked me away from pop music, I suppose. Um, it kind of pulled back the veneer. I got a little glimpse of the other side and went, oh, that's where that goes. So I went inwards. I went deeply inwards as deep inwards as I possibly could go. And that led to your second darker album and The Boyfriends. I made rules for the record, you know. I didn't go into my upper register or use my falsetto. I wanted to stay down in my baritone register. I felt it was my reaction to expectation. And so when... People wanted me to sing high. I sung low and slow. And I remember all the labels here were just like, oh, wow, there's a lot of instruments on it. We didn't expect that. But I got it out of me so I could keep creating music forever. I really have a lot of respect for you for doing that because it must have been tempting. It must, however unattractive that road was with its, okay, so make sure we have the demo in three months prior to this and, and we have the artwork through it and that is your life stretching yeah. out for the next 30 years. Yeah, It also provides an element of stability. Absolutely. Which I got really lost in there for a while after the record came out. Um, it was one of those classic sort of local critics loved it, but that doesn't mean too much for your streams, you know. Yeah, I just had to wait and I had to get, I had to run out of money and I had to work at a box office and feel like the world had slipped away from me. And I had to get back on stage at a drag night or something like that, something gay. And the next week I was in Italy performing for like Bulgari in a castle. Good Lord. Because I just got back on stage again and went, yeah, I'm back. And that record let me do that. Otherwise, I would have stopped. I would have stopped and felt like I had a secret. When are we going to get some uh, gorgeous new material from you? I'm committed to making a music video, um, which I haven't done in about since House of Air, um, really. Um, so I've got one brilliant song already finished, ready to go. And I'm going to make the most beautiful, gorgeous, narrative, eye candy, Brendan McLean music video you can imagine. And you come into London. Come to London when you can and, and come I'll be there, me. baby. Me and Harry Clayton, right, will be getting the House of Air team back together. We'll give you a live show, baby. <laughs> <laughs> if it's legal. If we can go in some weird 
fucked up time machine and we can send back in time your catalogue to 15-year-old Brendan McLean, what do you reckon he'd think of it? I think he'd hate Fun Bang Wine. <laughs> Be like, what is this shit? What? This sounds like I saw the sign. He opened my eyes. I, I saw, saw the, the sign. sign. This is good. Oh, my God. No. I was not into pop as a kid at all. Um, but I think uh, he'd get the point. By the time you hit uh, sensational, that everything has sort of been coming together of pop and rock. And he'd probably listen to that one Kylie song he has. And he'd probably listen to the NXS kick album that he has and go, oh, <laughs> this is all mum's fault. <laughs> What's that lovely line? Nature or nurture, it's still your fault. <laughs> it's still her. Mum, if you're listening, this was your fault. It still is. I love you. But no, I think, um, yeah. He'd, so he'd think, think it was pretty weird. He'd think it'd be pretty weird. He'd like, he would have liked End the Boyfriends because of the guitars. And that would have sounded blokey. But him. you don't think he'd see a stranger? You think he would say, oh, yes, that is, I see that that's a development of me? Absolutely. Yeah. Look, I, I had felt something when I was a kid that I was going to do this forever. And I'm, I won't pretend that I'm surprised that I'm still doing it. <laughs> For those of our audience that don't know your content, I want to suggest a gateway drug to get them, to get them properly hooked. Well, I always go the Brian and Carl journey. Brian and Carl are who have directed most of my video clips. And I think you just want to go on this journey through me trying to understand what the hell I'm doing with myself. So I start at stupid at us with a handy cam, me recording on an iPad. Most of that track is from an iPad, by the way. And then moving through to winner, the first time I booked a studio and put too many tracks on top of each other. I think there were about 10 different kick drums in that song. But, you know, the video clip's great. Nice strip backwards in it. You'll love it. And then guide yourself to House of Air and you'll find yourself at a very happy position when I finally figure out I love pop music, but I also love making pop structures. I love being cheeky and fun. And when you book the right person, they can make really nice production for you. I think it's probably my best track still. <laughs> I know it's, it's desperately chipping away at the many TikTok streams that Stupid has, but... Yeah, I listen to that one and it's all that the arpeggiators, the disco drums and yeah, that joy in the performance that I hope when you listen to me, you know that when I'm in there, I always mean it. I always mean it a thousand percent. So if we want to get past the knuckle of House of Air, we've got to start, <laughs> we've, got, we've got to start, we, we, we've got, got to start, start with an exploding cake. <laughs> That's right. That's right. If you just cream yourself up. You know, the, the, the great metaphor for me is that if you go to houseofair.info, if, if you click um, I am over 18, you go to the video, and if you click under 18, it just takes you back to the video of Stupid, back to the start. If you weren't so stupid, I could have loved you. And if you weren't so stupid, but you're pretty. Could have loved you, but you work in an office. 
Brendan, McLean, it has been lovely having you on in the Key of Q, and we look forward Thank so you. much to welcoming you back here in London. Thank you for the Absolutely. fantastic music you make. Oh, my heart's really full. Thank you so much for that. Please do rate and review this podcast on your podcast provider. It'll really help other people find it. You can support the podcast by visiting patreon.com slash in the key of Q. Of course, it's always lovely to hear your thoughts and ideas and maybe future guests for the show. You can reach out on all the usual social media platforms or email me directly on dan at in the key of It'll be great to hear from you. Our theme music is by Pauline Nidu at unstoppablemonsters.com. Big thanks to Kajun Kantha and Murray Lang for their support in making this episode. I'm Dan Hall and this podcast is made at Pup Media Consultancy. See you next Tuesday. <laughs>